This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. Okay, I've got a serious polling question for you that's going to be put up on Instagram. So obviously, this is going to be legit. But I'm wondering, have you ever experienced jealousy before? Well, duh, I think we all have. Even I get the fluttery feeling in my body from time to time. But do you ever actually admit to the feeling of jealousy? Or do you find yourself downplaying or even denying that you're experiencing it? And that, my dears, I think is the money question right there. It's a human emotion to experience jealousy. And we all have this at different levels or different forms. And yet we've really demonized it in this culture. You know, we've shamed whether we have experienced this ourselves or if our partners are experiencing it. And instead of it simply vanishing because we ask it to, it ends up festering and creating greater distance between us and our loves. So then... What seems to be just stories made up in our minds or these histories of our past, they become these giant green monsters in the room. But what if we reframed it as a tool for our personal evolution and tuned into it for the gold? Now, what if the jealousy is not so much about something right here and now, but rather about our partner's past? I've got the ultra cool Zachary Stockhill on to share with us about the complexities of navigating retroactive jealousy. Ah, I'm so excited about this topic. But before we get to Zachary, lovers, you are the reason that I do this show. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in, for spreading the word and leaving your reviews, trying some of the suggestions and the products that we recommend. I love hearing about your takeaways and all the things that you're discovering about yourselves because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, get all these links and connects with our guests and read more about how you can up-level your sex love and vitality. I even have a downloadable ebook to help you have these conversations around sex and make them easier and to have the exact sex life that you want. Because I know that those conversations are hard and I want to help you there. Whew. All right. So let's get to our guest. Zachary, I'm so excited to have you on today with us. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Kat. Yeah. And I was just talking to him a moment ago. I asked him where he's at in the world and you're in Thailand right now, right? I'm in beautiful Chiang Mai in Northern Thailand. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. I love Thailand so much. I spent a lot of time over there last year in uh, Koh Phangan and Bangkok and, and more that area of Thailand. It's absolutely stunning over there. 
Great. So I don't have to sell you on how awesome Thailand is. <laughs> no, not at all. So while I'm here snuggled up on my couch, half in my PJs, I'm like business on top and PJs on bottom. You're over there and it's, it's probably about eight o'clock PM. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Oh, 10 yeah. 10 o'clock. Oh my God. I'm so honored you're, you stayed up with us tonight. <laughs> it's quite all right. It's not quite my bedtime yet. So I think we're okay. Oh, okay. So Zachary is an award-winning Canadian researcher, writer, coach, and podcaster. He is a leading voice on confronting and overcoming jealousy in relationships and the author of the guidebook, Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy and retroactivejealousy.com. He also hosts the podcast Humans in Love, which I I absolutely love that title for a podcast by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean it's it's really hard to come up with a good title, right? And yeah, that one kind of fell into my lap. I I like it too. Yeah, mine too. I think I just like woke up one day and I was like, "Oh, what are my three favorite things in this world? Eating, playing, and sexing." That sounds about right. Yeah, it's not bad. I like it. <laughs> So Zachary, I read your book and I absolutely love it. I think it's such an empowering book to help people navigate something that, you know, we're less than excited about the jealousy that we might experience, especially when it comes to our partners. And you give some very concrete advice on how people can hold themselves and take care of what does come up for them. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I wonder if for our listeners, you can help them understand, you know, what is retroactive jealousy and how is this different than regular jealousy that we might experience from day to day? Yeah, it's a fair question. I think it's, it's, a, it's a surprisingly complicated little, little topic. I mean, most people who find my, my work have never even heard the term before. It's not really commonly used. So in a nutshell, retroactive jealousy refers to being bothered by a partner's past relationships and or sexual history, hence the, the word retroactive at the beginning there. Mm. And this can take on many, many different forms. This can take on the form of just, you know, finding some things out about your partner's past that perhaps you weren't prepared for or that strike you as immoral, perhaps, or unusual or out of the ordinary some things that you don't like, or, or perhaps your partner's had some experiences that you haven't had and you don't understand why they did certain things. Mm, um, mm -hmm. What I kind of you want to say specialize in, perhaps that's uh, not the right word, but well, yeah, maybe Let, let's go with that. What I, what I tend to kind of specialize in is something uh, that's more akin to obsessive compulsive disorder, which I have uh, started to call retroactive jealousy OCD. So Whoa. most people have some kind of vague familiarity with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm -hmm. um, there's, Examples in popular media, you know, such as people washing their hands over and over, or perhaps, you know, locking the door 400 times before they go to bed at night, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's actually not entirely accurate. I mean, that type of behavior does exist, but uh, OCD can take on many different forms. And this particular form that I experienced when I was a young man, and that literally hundreds of thousands of people around the world experience, is being sort of locked into these really counterproductive, destructive, painful um, mental patterns or thought patterns uh, relating to your partner's past. So let's say you find out some random detail about their past, you know, they slept with this guy or that guy or whatever, and then you can't stop thinking about it. I mean, it's really, really torturous. It can, it can feel a bit like hell. Um, people, I get emails just about every day from people who say, this is the first thing I think about when I open my eyes in the morning and the last thing I think about before I go to sleep at night. So it can, it can be really, really destructive and uh, it can really mm -hmm. wreak havoc on people's lives and relationships. 
I, I can imagine. Now, is this something that that you see as a pattern for people, you know, if they experience it once, is it something they've experienced multiple times before, or is it, can it be triggered by one particular partner? No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. And I, I wish people, more people would ask that question. Cause I think, I think it's really important. So a lot of people find certain details out about their partner's past. They become really bothered by them. They become, in many cases, they become obsessed or consumed by them. They can't let it go. And they think that, oh, if I just move on to another person, you know, with a squeaky clean past or whatever, you know, this, this, um, this problem will go away. And maybe that happens in some cases, but what, you know, literally thousands of emails over the past years have taught me people, you know, really being brave and sharing their stories with me. Um, what, what that's taught me is that unfortunately this nasty little demon we call retroactive jealousy often follows us into consecutive relationships. The other really interesting thing I've noticed is that if you're dating someone casually, like, like say, let's say a typical retroactive jealousy sufferer, someone who typically um, writes to me, if they're dating someone casually. There's not a ton of feelings involved. They don't, they don't uh, acquire or, or develop retroactive jealousy. It really rarely happens, but it's the, that damn L word. Like once they fall in love, it seems like this, this um, little demon follows them in, around into consecutive relationships, which is, I hope I'm not rambling now, but this is one of the reasons that I really advise people and I really encourage people, you know, like when this comes up for you, it might look like the easy way out to just bail and, and you know, mm -hmm. head into another relationship. But I think that's often the wrong choice, actually. I really think you need to hunker down and really put in the work to beat this thing, unfortunately, or it will probably follow you into, uh, into your next relationship or at least the next time you fall in love. Mm, yeah. So instead of <laughs> engaging in some of our, you know, uh, behaviors to protect ourselves, it's like, okay, can I sit with this? Can I work with it? Can I give, give the attention to it so that I can allow it to heal or move through it? I love how, how the way that you're talking about it is something that we can learn to heal from or work with. Yeah. And, and, but you know, the, I, like I said, you know, when I, when I first um, started responding to you, I mean, this is a complicated topic and, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you get nasty things written about you online. And it seems like one of the things that, that people get wrong about me and, and, you know, a common cr critique of me is that people think that I say, oh, well, you know, someone's past is never relevant and no matter what you should always stay with them. That's not what mm -hmm. I'm saying at all. In fact, there are definitely occasions when, you know, someone's past indicates, you know, you probably don't share the same values and this is going to lead to major headaches in the future. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. probably best for both of you if you move on. That can absolutely happen. However, it, it's, I think what you need to do in that situation is not to take the easy way out right away, you know, start putting in the work to overcome it. And then you can try to make that decision with a clear head. I think it's the wrong move to cut and run right away. Mm, yeah. Are there things that people should look at to see whether this is jealousy or when it's a red flag to just like, you know, get the fuck out of there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of people are sort of unclear about um, what they really want out of a partner and what uh, they really want out of relationships. You know, it can be really helpful. I'm sure I don't have to tell you to, to really sit down and think seriously about these things, maybe do some journaling and you know, what, what would my perfect relationship in five years look like, or in one year or in six months or whatever. And more importantly, like, what is the actual purpose of my relationship? Because at that. different times in life, relationships will likely serve different purposes, right? Perhaps if you're in your late teens, you're having relationships just mainly for the sake of experience, you know, like getting those, you know, awkward early dating experiences out of the, you know, learning a little bit about sex, um, oh my whatever. God, yes. I was the most awkward. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, who wasn't, right? I mean, we all have to kind of go through those those experiences and learn about ourselves. And, you know, as we move into our 20s and our 30s and stuff, our relationships serve different purposes. So uh-huh. I think it's really important uh, to sit down and get really clear about that, you know, and, and decide, like, look at this person, look at your partner almost as an impartial observer and ask yourself, like, do they want to go in the same direction as me? You know, are we are we both excited, inspired by the same things? Do we want the same things in a year or five years or 10 years or whatever? And sometimes a person's past can be a pretty glaring red flag that, you know, maybe we don't value the same things. Maybe we don't want the same things. And, you know, the the obvious example perhaps is cheating, you know, and and this is tricky because I believe that people can change. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm a very different man than I was five years ago. You know, you're probably a very different woman than you were five years ago. Of course, you know, and especially anyone listening to (laughs) me too. (laughs) <laughs> um, I mean, of course, you know, probably anyone who's, who's investing the time and in listening to a podcast like this is probably a very different person than they were five years ago. People can change. But if you did look at someone's past and find out, well, they've cheated on, you know, three of their past four boyfriends and they're, they're carrying some serious baggage and they're not really taking ownership of their, you know, their actions and like things like that, I think are a pretty glaring red flag. And if you want to be monogamous and if you value, you know, stability in your relationship and all those things, you know, that's probably you know, that woman or that, that man is probably not the best choice for you moving forward. There are situations like that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And do you help people explore where this jealousy is coming from, or is it more of just like, okay, we're recognizing the the signs and symptoms that it's here and let's work on it moving forward. No, I tend to, I mean, especially with my coaching clients um, and my email, uh, people who send me emails and stuff, I tend to ask them a lot of questions because I don't think, I mean, okay, so I'm trying to boil a lot down here, but my impression is that scientists and researchers are fairly divided on what actually causes OCD. It's kind of a crapshoot uh-huh. in trying to determine where this comes from. Like everything. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like there could be biological factors. Like, you know, if mom and dad both struggle with it, chances are good that, you know, any child they create is going to struggle with it too. Um, it's uh, not guaranteed, but it's more likely. Yeah. It could be environmental factors, early childhood experiences, whatever. But you know, I, I try to ask a lot of questions um, to people who are struggling with this to find out where it comes from. And one area that I poke in and prod into a lot is um, an individual's insecurity, because it's my take that all jealousy is related to some kind of fear and insecurity. And I get people, you know, really resisting me on that. And, you know, I want to emphasize that I get extremely successful, well-accomplished people who, you know, reach out to me and buy my book and, and who struggle with this issue, you know, like people who on the surface looks like they'd be the most secure, confident person in the world, but there's still something there. I mean, I think that, that, you know, not to say that all of their jealousy is based on fear and insecurity, but I think you can attribute a large part of it often in most cases to their fear and insecurity. So I start asking them questions about their expectations and relationships. Um, sometimes I ask them about their early dating experiences but most of all, I, I guess what it comes down to is I focus on who they are and what they want for their future and, and all the areas in which they feel like they're falling short, the areas in which they feel like they're not living up to their, their best self. Um, I hope that doesn't sound corny, but I, I like that term, you know, trying to live up to your best self. So that's probably one of the main uh, areas that I poke around in is, you know, trying to get to the bottom of their insecurity because time and experience has really taught me that the deeper you can go into your insecurity, the better your life gets. And for this particular problem, the better this problem gets, the easier this problem gets to manage. Because I guarantee if you're feeling jealous about anything, there's some kind of fear and there's some kind of insecurity there. 
And I get people really fighting me on that. You know, they, they, they list their accomplishments. They, you know, they tell me their income, you know, all these things. It's like, I'm not oh scared about anything. <laughs> and then I'll get an email three or four months later. And it's like, oh, actually, no, I, you know, I was insecure about X, Y, and Z. And, you know, this is what I realized. And things are a lot better now. Whatever. You know, we, um, we all have fears, insecurities. Uh, yeah. Relationships are real all of us. And it's like, let's, let's do our best to, to get to the bottom of what we're really afraid of. Yeah. There's such a beautiful reframing that I hear as you describe this, because it's almost like, you know, giving ourselves permission to, to be human and be, have insecurities at times, you know, but, but we see and hear jealousy and it's like, like we're like, Oh, jealousy, they're jealous. Or I, I don't want to be that jealous girl, you know, and, and we, right. we shame it. And we reject that part of us. But from what I'm hearing you say is like, hey, this is human. It's a collective experience to experience jealousy. How about instead of rejecting it, let's invite it in. Let's look at it and see how we can use this to evolve ourselves. Absolutely. You know, and, and it makes sense. I mean, like when you fall in love with someone, you really fall for someone. I mean, that's an enormous gamble. I mean, if, if you're mm -hmm. any kind of, if you have any kind of, you know, emotional inner world, if you're any kind of sensitive person, you know, if you really love deeply, I mean, like it, it's a real risk in a lot of ways, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're really wagering a lot there. So of course there's going to be fear and worry and insecurity um, associated with that. You know, it makes sense. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, I always think of the example of this professional basketball player um, <laughs> who got in touch with me. Like, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, this sports star or, you know, a man on the street, like we all have things we're afraid of. We all have things that, that uh, we're worried about losing. You know, I think yeah. in some ways it's a sign that we're really in love. I mean, that's kind of a, perhaps kind of a depressing way to look at it, but I think that, <laughs> that that's one indication that it's, you know, what we're feeling is, is pretty real in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. I had done some research on jealousy as well. And, and this concept of, you know, like, uh, the relationship is something that we value. So the internal feelings that arise are coming from this perception that there may be a threat there. And so we're wanting to guard or, or protect that value from being broken or, um, you know, pulled apart. And so if we look at it that in that way, we can say, oh, okay, it makes sense. This is important to me. So of course I'm going to, you know, look at their phone or of course I'm going to, you know, ask these questions or feel this way. It may not be right. helpful, and, but. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of sexy people out there, you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of potential <laughs> threats if, if we want to say it that, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. how good looking you are, how secure you are, how, how smart you are. There, there's a lot of attractive people in the world. And you know, part of the reason we're drawn to our partners, because hopefully they, you know, they have, um, they're attracted to attractive people. Hopefully we're, you know, they're attracted to us <laughs> because we're attractive. And I mean, I'm sure I don't have to tell you and your listeners. I mean, I, I think it, it's a myth that still persists that this idea that if we fall in love, we'll never be drawn to anyone else again. I think that, oh God, that yeah. it, it's starting to fade, but I still think a lot of people, um, feel that way in some ways. And it's just ridiculous. You know, like we're mammals mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we are mammals and, and we have these drives and instincts. Our partner has the same drives and instincts. And that's actually uh, a really beautiful thing. I wanted to, to make one, one point. If you'll, if you'll just let me riff here for a minute, uh, yeah, I, I, I meant to it. make it earlier. And I think it's, you used a word that reminded me of it. You said the word reframe. Mm. And one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately, and that I think is really important in the context of, of retroactive jealousy. Um, let's say you're struggling with some aspect of your partner's past is this idea of reframing things. So for example, or sorry, reframing things and thinking about what you value. So to cite one example, let's say we're, we're upset with our partner because they had X number of partners in the past and they were somewhat sexually adventurous. Okay. 
nothing crazy, but like, let's say it's more than we are entirely comfortable with in that moment, right? Let's also say that we have an amazing sex life with the same partner, right? Let's say that these two things are true. Well, ultimately, what do you value more? You know, do you value having some, you know, sexually repressed, virginal church showing girl who's never had another man, you know, look twice at her or whatever, if that's, because unfortunately, that's what a lot of guys <laughs> seem to want, at least the guys who, um, who write to me, you know, there's a lot of these, these really sort of regressive ideas out there about this kind of thing. Anyway, let's say, you know, would you value that? Because you're going to have a ton of issues with this woman, you know, with, with some woman who's sexually repressed, perhaps she has no experience. You're probably not going to have the amazing sex life that you have with your current partner, right? So what do you value more? Do you value the virginal church going angel or do you value having an active, really healthy, exciting sex life? You know, it's like, I think a lot of the time we approach relationships and we kind of want it all. You know, we're looking for this idea of the word, you know, the perfect partner. I got an email the other day. And it just gave me, you know, it just really, I, I found it troubling because this guy kept using the word perfect all the time. You know, I've been looking for the perfect relationship and the perfect woman and the perfect partner. And it's like, that doesn't exist. I mean, this is a really elementary point, but I think it's important to, to hammer home, especially for any retroactive jealousy sufferer. It's like, give up this idea of looking for the perfect partner and realize that, you know, if you have one amazing thing, there's probably some kind of trade-off involved as well to have that amazing thing. You know, it's like the, the, karma of the universe, if you will. You know, there's, there's always some kind of, of trade-off. I hope I'm not rambling now. Does that make sense? Oh my God. I love talking, like listening to you. I'm just fascinated. I'm sure all of our listeners are just drooling right now, or at least. I think I've had too much coffee notes. today. <laughs> <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big coffee guy. What can I say? <laughs> love it. Yeah, no, keep, keep riffing. Keep <laughs> Yeah, no, that was, that was the main point because you use the word reframe and I think that's so, you know, powerful yeah. to, to sort of do. And, and in a way that you can kind of do that in the moment is like, you know, yeah. say you're bothered by your partner's past sex life. It doesn't matter if, you know, if you're man, woman, gay, straight, I get letters from everyone. Let's say you're bothered by your partner's past sex life. Like think about like how much you value your current sexual connection and your partner's current sexuality, you know, like let's assume it's pretty, pretty healthy and expressive and, and yeah. beautiful. Like, well, all of those experiences in their past, you know, help them become the sexually, you know, beautiful person they are today. And you can't have, you know, the virgin who's going to be in the same, the same way. Do you know what I mean? Like there's always going to be some kind of, if you want to look at it, some kind of like trade-off, but ultimately what do you value more? You know, that's, it's a really important thing to think about and to not think that if you find, you know, this ideal partner in your head, that all of your problems will be solved. And especially, you know, circling back to a point I made earlier, you know, retroactive jealousy, this particular little demon of an issue, it tends to follow us in consecutive relationships, unfortunately, until you put in the work to try to overcome it. Yeah. So it's, it's like this reframing is this um, intention to see something differently or to get unstuck. Like we are rechanneling our energy or our attention in a way to achieve a different outcome. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it, actually. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. There's so there's so many good points in your book that you wrote. I, I literally went through and like highlighted these on, on my Kindle. Um, but, and it's something that you just said here reminded me of it. You had talked about, you know, don't overvalue your partner, you know, that your partner is not your everything. And if she is, she will soon not be anymore. And I think this, what, what I'm thinking of is um, Instagram and all these memes and these very like <laughs> very intense emotional memes about 
you're my everything and my, you know, like mm. I think of you in my arms and like, if you leave me, my world will crash or something like that, you know? <laughs> and I think it perpetuates yeah. this like pulling on my heartstrings and the love is like so intense and, and that's all I want. <laughs> Probably and not. It, isn't it amazing? Like, it, it's not helpful at all. And like, if you think about popular music, for example, I mean like, so like, and I'm, I want to be clear, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm an absolute music obsessive. I love pop music so much, so, particularly classic pop music. But anyway, like, you know, every other song is about, you know, this man saying, if you leave, you know, like I will be just done. You know, like, my life is yeah. over. Um, you know, you will destroy my heart. I'll never recover. I mean, like, there's a lot of songs that are like that. And it's, it's like, and they have great melodies and you know, they have great production. And you think about it, like, we've been listening to these songs, most of us in the West, at least for our entire lives. You know, this, yeah. these messages, this, this kind of message is constantly being hammered into us. Like, no wonder that we're, you know, we're posting these ridiculous memes on Instagram and everything else, right? Because yeah, the culture likes this idea of you know, it's, it's like, goes back to like Romeo and Juliet or something. This idea of like very, very tragic love is the only love that's, you know, that that's, that's the only kind of love that can be truly romantic, you know, un, unrequited tragic love. And it's just, yeah. yeah, it's just a recipe for just constant, constant pain and constant heartache. <laughs> and it sets people up for some really hellish breakups, right? When you, when everything is telling you like, this is the one with a capital O and, you know, she leaves you, you'll be nothing. It's like, well, that's not going to exactly help your mental state when you're in, in the midst of a hellish hellish breakup right yeah instagram makes me crazy but that's 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 another rant unless you follow my instagram and hopefully i help you out <laughs> <laughs> no your instagram is great and i like instagram too i don't mean to, to harp on the platform but yes <laughs> that stuff is just crazy the, the things that we subscribe to oh for sure yeah, yeah that's right yeah just follow all the accounts i follow and yeah you'll be fine <laughs> And then, um, so in furthering this, you were talking about in the book about, um, when we put somebody on a pedestal, we, they have no yeah. choice to look, but to look down on us. Can you expand on that? Cause that was like a, I literally start, 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 underline, underline, underline. I was like, yes, this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is a thing, um, in my view, I think men do this more than women. And this is super general, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, you know, women do it too, but this is a common thing I see with a lot of guys, particularly straight guys who write to me where it's, it's like the white knight thing where, where the, you know, maybe they've been the dreaded nice guy for their whole life and they've really idealized women. Perhaps they haven't always had a ton of access to the women they wanted. Um, perhaps the women that they wanted didn't pay them a lot of attention, particularly in their younger years. And they find this woman who they believe is that dreaded word perfect, right? Um, they start dating her and, you know, miracle of miracles, you know, she seems to like him, which freaks him out. He thinks maybe he's not worthy. And then he starts putting her on this amazing pedestal, you know, like everything she does is amazing and she's incredible. And, you know, like it, we, they really, really tend to idealize this person into this completely unrealistic image based on not a whole lot of knowledge, you know, because when we first start dating someone, you know, most of the time it takes a while to really get to know them and to hear their stories and for them to open up and feel comfortable really sharing who they are in full, you know, like the first, first little while it's more like a, like a job uh, interview. 
So mm-hmm. once we get to know them a little bit, you know, we learn things that we don't like. And it's like that pedestal just comes crashing down. It's like, you know, cause we've built this person into something that they can never be, you know, we mm-hmm. don't, we don't think that they have flaws. We don't think that, you know, they make a mess in the bathroom sometimes, or they don't do their dishes or guess what? They've had some experiences in the past that have shaped them into the woman you see today. And so a lot of guys really, really, really struggle with that. You know, they have, they really place women on pedestals in ways that are just, you know, absolutely counterproductive. And by the way, women don't appreciate that. You know, like mm-hmm. women might say, you know, a woman might say, tell you that, you know, she wants to be treated like a princess and a queen and all the rest. But like, ultimately what I found is women want a guy with self-respect and women want a guy who treats them, you know, like a, like a human being, like, like a work mm-hmm. in progress, just like everyone else. Like, I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, you don't want to be idealized, right? Like you don't want a guy to think that he's not worthy of you and you have no flaws. I mean, like that seems pretty unsexy to me. Yeah. I can't yeah. be human then. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think exactly, it's, it's exactly. sustainable yeah, for anybody in that, you know, either, or it's not sustainable for the guy to hold that person you know, on that highest pedestal and treat them like a queen over and over and over and over. But it's also not sustainable for the woman. Cause what if we, you know, like <laughs> I'm boring sometimes and I like to be boring. I like to- <laughs> no, really? <laughs> I not <know>. you. <laughs> sometimes I wake up and my hair doesn't look like a perfect bedhead of hair. <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah. Pedestal's crashing down here. I don't like this. I know. <laughs> I'm ruining all of your guys' <laughs> image of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's really sad. I mean, a lot of these guys, and, and I, I, I tend to wonder where does that come from? Like these guys who think that they have to treat women like princesses and that, you know, if they meet the perfect girl, she'll never have any flaws. Like I wonder, does it go back to like the Disney cartoons that we watched as a kid or the pop songs that I mentioned earlier or... Just to, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know where that comes from. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds nice at first. It's like, oh yeah, of course, you know, you treat them like a queen, you treat them amazing and all these things, of course, treat them amazing. Um, but also tune into like what you're able to, like what, you know, what's sustainable in that you know, can yeah. we treat them well but can we and can we also treat them as human and and having mistakes and flaws and and all these other things so that we don't it's almost like we go in with this perfect image and then it's tarnished and then we're like eh, okay well i'll just move on and right find something because better a lot on of the these tinder. guys <laughs> exactly and exactly and and it, ultimately it, it's so you know destructive for the woman too because like what follows unfortunately a lot of you know when the pedestal comes crashing down when the guy finds out something that he doesn't like about his woman unfortunately like a lot of that is you know they can be pretty uh pretty filled with rage often actually and you know Ooh, like really men and women alike, they can say really terrible things. You know, it's like this, cause it's like a shattering of their psyche in some ways, you know, they built mm-hmm. this person up into something they can never be. And once that image is tarnished, it's like, how dare you, you know, how you, how yeah. dare you destroy this perfect. beautiful image that I had in my head? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, can be, it can be really bad. Oh my God. That sounds awful. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How dare yeah. you not be the perfect angel for me? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, what it feels like a betrayal. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a good word for it. So how and, and now you're speaking from a space of having experienced this yourself, which I think you oh, write a I lot am. about in your book. And I and when I'm saying that I mean retroactive jealousy, not necessarily like the, you know put the pedestal on and, and the rage coming out because they're not that way. But um, which I think 
for me as a reader and for a, a lot of the readers that I'll check it out, it's, there's a lot of permission there. It's like, Hey, it's okay. Like even I experience this and there's hope there. Yeah. And I want to be clear. I mean, I definitely had some moments of, uh, of being a real asshole. I mean, and I think I write about that a little in the book, um, but I certainly wasn't immune from that because I think because I, w I didn't understand what I was feeling, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I wasn't really conscious of what was happening, you know, in my inner world. And the easy way to deal with that is to project it on someone else. Right. Yeah. I definitely yeah. had my moments. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's, it's important to note that I wrote that book originally I, I wrote it under a pen name. <laughs> I wrote it under this pen name cause I, you know, I was doing other, uh, academic work at that time in a completely different field, you know, writing this weird little book about jealousy that just felt like something I had to do yeah. really not expecting to do anything with it. Um, and so I think I was more honest, at, <laughs> you know, writing that book because I was using the pen name at the time. And about a year later, some people persuaded me that perhaps it'd be better to put my real name on it. But, uh, huh. but yeah, this, this work is very, it's very personal for me. And, and, um, you know, and it, just to get sort of woo woo on you, Oh, yeah. Uh, my kind of hippie roots. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's kind of like it's, and this might sound grandiose, but in a way I'm, I feel like I'm kind of trying to fulfill my karmic debt to the universe because I was an asshole, you know, like I, yeah. I did some things that I'm not very proud of that I, you know, that I write in the book. Um, and so it's like, you know, I want to put out some, some good energy to replace perhaps the bad energy that I, that I put out once upon a time, but, but this work, it, it, it's very personal. And I think people appreciate the fact that, that, uh, I've been, pretty open about it. And then I'm, you know, not afraid to put my name and, and face out there. And the thing that's, that's really, really exciting about it. And the thing that just never fails to, to excite and inspire me is, you know, people attack this, this issue in their life, retroactive jealousy. And then they find out that actually there's a bunch of other shit that they weren't dealing with. You know, there are other issues uh -huh. they had, you know, they're, they're not serving their partner to their full capacity. They're not being the best man or woman they can be. I mean, one of the coolest emails I ever received is someone said that it was like a gateway drug for personal development, you know, tackling this, this first issue. And that just really makes me happy. You know, it's, it's, wow. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's very, very deeply fulfilling work. Ah, oh, that's so epic. Yeah. You really invite people to look inward instead of just externally processing <laughs> at everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I try. Yeah. And what, in your experience, and then you get into this in the book as well, but what are some tools that people can help them, can use to help them navigate this? Maybe something that they can yeah. apply right now. In term, are you talking about retroactive jealousy more generally, or do you want to focus on the OCD bit? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let, let, I can speak generally. I'll, I'll try to speak generally. I mean, this might be an absolute cliche, but uh, I mean, meditation can be a real game changer. And I'm sure yeah. like every podcast listener is just groaning right now. <laughs> Here's some other bastard telling me to meditate. But in particular, I think if you're dealing with any kind of anxiety, uh, any kind of jealousy, really, I mean, just some kind of basic mindfulness practice can be really, 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 really helpful. Um, yeah. and in a way, you know, if, if you're in a really jealous state, uh, it can really help to, to stop the bleeding, especially if you've established, if you've already established some kind of basic practice, you know, over the previous weeks or months, it can, it can be a really, uh, really, really valuable tool. Um, yeah, I've written about we, it a lot and it's, you know, it's a cliche to say it changed my life, but it's, it certainly did. 
Oh my God, me too. In the last episode, um, episode 50, we had George Haas on talking about attachment theory and he incorporates Vipassana meditation, which is like an insight meditation to help people to um, recognize their conditioning and to be able to shift that in the moment. And we also had another episode with um, David Gandelman, who also talked about the power of meditation. So I really hope that people not only listen to these episodes, and but even after you're saying it's okay. If we're talking about this in multiple episodes, you should probably look into it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, if there's any kind of a pattern um, of this kind of, you know, jealous behavior, I mean, if it becomes more than a one-off thing, I mean, I think it's, it's probably time to take a look in the mirror and, and, you know, think about what you can do to change it. And particularly if you've experienced it, I would say in multiple relationships, that's another, you know, glaring red flag. But you mentioned uh, Vipassana earlier. I mean, that, it's funny you mentioned that because actually Vipassana in particular was really crucial to my recovery in a lot of ways. Wow. And for anyone listening to this who's interested, I mean, and I have no affiliation with this organization whatsoever, but there's this website called dhamma.org, D-H-A-M-M-A.org. Again, I have no affiliation, but they have centers all over the world uh, where you can do these 10-day uh, yeah. Vipassana meditation retreats. And, and I mean, nothing kicks your ass like these, like these retreats. I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, there's nothing, um, there's nothing weird about it. There's nothing, you know, um, because there's a lot of charlatans in this, you know, in this space. Right. It's a very above board organization. And basically you just live like a, like a hardcore monk for 10 days. And, and that was really, really crucial, um, for my own recovery. Obviously not everyone listening, you know, can, can, uh, has the time for, for that. But for anyone who just really wants like a, you know, intense introspective experience, that's probably one of the best ones that you can, that you mm. can do. How empowering that is too, because it's suggesting that you are your own teacher here. So to go inward and be with yourself for 10 days, like that's, that's incredible. That's like yeah, therapy with me times a hundred. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you tell me what, if you agree with this, but I mean, one thing that I found over and over and over working with people and, ha you know, having phone calls, coaching calls and whatever is, is so often, you know, people have the answers. People, people know what they need to do already. I mean, people have their own answers. You just have to ask the right questions and poke them and prod them a bit. And eventually they come to their own, their own answers. You know, like, I think that more often than not, we have the answers um, inside mm -hmm. of us already. We know deep down what we need to do, how we need to change, you know, decisions we need to make more often than not. I think if, you know, if we get a quiet space and we can really think clearly, we have those answers and this is where a good coach or a therapist or you know, whatever can come in handy, you know, to ask us the right questions. But it's, mm -hmm. it's just astounded me over and over. Like people are smart and people, people have their own answers. You just have to ask them the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. I, I completely agree. And then, and allowing the answers to arise from within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What would be another, another tip or tool that somebody could use or incorporate? Well, as long as we're talking about, I mentioned stopping the bleeding earlier. I mean, this is a, a, a pitfall of retroactive jealousy. Um, and we've already sort of mentioned yeah. a couple of times in this episode already is projecting it onto our partner, like, like, you know, not taking ownership of the problem and, you know, really lashing out at them in often, uh, many cases. And another thing that people tend to do, retroactive jealousy sufferers tend to do is interrogate their partner about their past. Oh, so ask them all kinds of questions because they want to, in some way they feel like if they can just get the answer to one or two more questions, if they can just rationalize things a bit more, you know, if they can just solve a few of the mysteries in their head, then this nasty little problem will, will go away. 
What happens is, you know, they get an answer, you know, maybe it's an answer they want, they want, and they'll feel better for a half an hour or a day or whatever. And then the cycle just starts again. I mean, there's no resolution to be had there. So in terms of a stop the bleeding uh, tip, I would strongly encourage anyone listening to this who's struggling with retroactive jealousy to, for now, stop talking to your partner about their past. Chances are very good that you have the answers to the deal breaker questions. You know, like deep down, you know that their past is not any kind of deal breaker. And there's no, you know, right now, there's nothing productive that can happen as a result of another conversation with your partner about their past. So another sort of stop the bleeding thing, I would strongly encourage people to stop talking to their partner about their past, at least for now. Mm. That's yeah. a, I, I, I can see that now. I mean, the, and this comes back to what you were saying earlier, how some of the feedback you get from people is like, you know, um, you encourage people not to go into the past, but you're saying it's, it's just when it becomes this problematic peace. Is that right? Yeah, in a way. I mean, I think, I think some retroactive jealousy sufferers look at their, you know, they, they get these feelings, perhaps that they've never had these kind of feelings uh, about their partner's past before or any partner's past, you know, like mm. I get that a lot of emails. People will write to me and say like, I don't get it. Like in all my past relationships, I've never felt like this before. Oh yeah. yeah. And I ask a few more questions and nine, 99 times out of a hundred, it turns out that they've never felt this deeply. They've never been this deeply in love. You know, it comes back to that damn L word that I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the love thing. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> impactful, but they look at their partner's past almost like this, this mystery to be solved, right? It's like, uh-huh. just get the answer to a few more things and everything will fall into place and it will all make sense. There's this lyric, this Van Morrison lyric, I think about all the time. It's really simple. He just says, it ain't why it just is. I love that. It's like, you know, there's not, you know, there's not an answer to everything in life. You know, there's some things, there's some mysteries that are never going to be solved and that's okay. I was recently watching a video uh, hosted by uh, Dr. John Gottman. Are you familiar with him? Oh Just yeah. The Gottman Institute. Oh my God. Yeah. He's a really cool guy. Animal. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, the relationship guru. I mean, he's, he's done just, I mean, decades and decades and decades of really intensive research on, couples and what makes a successful marriage, uh, what are the patterns that lead couples to divorce, you know, cause he can, I'm not sure if it's true, but I've read that, you know, he can predict with like 94% accuracy after yeah. spending a couple hours with a couple, whether or not they'll, they'll divorce, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. One thing that he's talking about that's kind of blowing my mind because I am, uh, pretty analytical in a lot of ways and, you know, sort of an intellectual, uh, type person. You? No is, way. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean like intellectual, like smart. I just mean, you know, I like it in books and whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he's saying that mo- you know, even successful, co- in fact, all successful couples, they don't resolve all of their arguments. Mm-hmm. And I read that. I was like, w- w- what? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> um, but he's saying that, you know, like there's, there's certain fights, there's certain conflicts that, you know, they resolve them for the moment, but the fundamental issue hasn't changed. You know, they just work, you know, they work their way around it or they make peace with the things they can't change or they make peace with the, fa- the fact that they're always going to have this little dispute. And I found that really interesting. It's like, you know, and that fits in with, with what I'm saying now. It's like, there's not an intellectual answer to everything. You can't rationalize everything in life. You certainly, certainly cannot rationalize everything about your partner's past. So don't try. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we, you know, letting go or, or accepting or, you know, acknowledging these things can, uh, can be quite a trick for us humans. <laughs> Are there mm-hmm. strategies that can help us to be able to do that? 
to do what specifically? If you can just unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about these things coming up and you even said, said, uh, talked about this in the book of being able to recognize, accept, you know, and let go or surrender, Mm. surrender that piece when it comes up. And, you know, a lot of us, we have trouble with that. We want to sit in it. We want to ruminate. We want to ask the questions. Mm. We want to, you know, swirl it and almost like a, we uncomfortably enjoy being in that place, even though we don't, we do, but we don't, but we do. Mm. And we know it's yeah, good to that's let a it great go. Point. <laughs> yeah. And it's such a, you know, like so many people are telling us to let go. Right. I feel like it's the, like so many book titles have the word let go and like all of society and culture is telling us, you know, let go, let go. Yeah. How do we actually do it? I'll, I'll tell you how I do it. Um, uh-huh. And this is going to sound kind of strange, um, but it's actually a really old, very, very old idea. Um, I've been really influenced by a lot of Stoic philosophy and this book, uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is one of my highest recommended books. It's just, you know, absolutely brilliant. One idea that the ancient Stoic philosophers talk a lot about is considering death because it's the only thing we're born knowing, really. That's the only fact of life that is absolutely guaranteed. And particularly in the West, I mean, I've spent pretty much my entire adult life in Asia where there's a much different relationship with death. And I can look back at my childhood and the environment I was raised um, a lot differently. And in the West in particular, you know, we have a kind of a really weird relationship with death. We don't like to think about it. We like to deny the reality of death. You know, people, you know, you bring up anything related to that, people think you're being morbid, which we can never do. And I, I don't see it the same way because it's like this party is going to end. Like, yeah. like it, it's it's really going to end. You know, we don't have time for more bullshit. We don't have time for more wasting time. It's going to end. You know, yeah. like this conversation you and I are having is a slight moment in time, but who the hell knows what can happen tomorrow? This might be the last meaningful yeah. conversation we ever oh, have. God. Really? And that, <laughs> that might sound, yeah. No, I told you I'm going to go into a weird place here, but you asked. So, but you know, and, and, uh, you know, to make it even more real. And I, I, you know, I really hope, you know, you and none of your listeners go through this anytime soon, but I've lost three people very, very close to me over the past year and a bit. And it's been enormously challenging, but what an incredible gift because I didn't understand before this, you know, before these losses, I didn't really understand you know, that this, this, this game ends, like it all ends guys, you know, we don't have more time to waste in our relationships, in our lives in general. Um, there's no more putting things off. There's no more excuses to put things off because it all ends. And for me, you know, you ask like, how do we let things go? That's how I let a lot of things go. I really do in in, in my daily life because I just remember that, oh, this is all going to end. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not depressing. I mean, I don't find it depressing in the least. It's like a loving, kick in my ass every single day that I give myself where it's like, this is going to end Zach. So like, let's minimize the amount of bullshit and wasting time and stuff because, because it's all, it's all going to end. It's mm. like, what, what more beautiful excuse do we need to really enjoy ourselves now? You know, I, I hope that makes sense. And that might sound kind of strange, but that's, that's literally how I let go for the most part of my life. No, I can totally see this. And I, and what I see even more is it's like this, mantra or this affirmation that you're telling yourself to bring you back to center and to be able to, yeah, essentially like, um, loosen the grip around 
whatever story or, or thought or, you know, uh, unhelpful cognition that we're having in that moment. I do the same thing. Um, I will say things to myself internally just to help me surrender. Huh? Like for example, when I'm on the LA freeway and somebody you know, <laughs> pulls some dick move in front of me and, and I'm just like, okay, you know what? They're just a human trying to get somewhere too. And it helps me to completely just like, you know, that, that the pent up energy and the, the wanting to be like, fuck you. And just be like, oh, you know, like I do that shit too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, keeping that dick on the LA freeway in mind, I mean, I, I think of this lyric, um, I think it's a Sheryl Crow song. It, I, I just, I, it's from my childhood. My mother always really loved it. I think it, I've never looked it up. I think it's a Sheryl Crow song. And she says, um, everybody's got a story that would break your heart. Mm. And Oof. I think about that line a lot. You know what I mean? Like who the hell knows what happened to that dick on the LA freeway? You know, like maybe, you know, he lost his parents in a flood the day before or whatever, you know, it's like, and especially, you know, the more you, you dig into to people and, you know, the more of these conversations you have, like, you know, I'm sure if I dug deep enough into you and you dug deep enough into me, like, you know, we all have pain, we all have baggage. And, you know, everyone's waging their own little private battle. So, I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's another very practical way that you can, you can let things go is just to keep that in mind. You know, it's like mm -hmm. that person is waging a very private battle and they're dealing with things you have no idea about, you know? So, you know, they cut you off and that's a dick move, but you know, maybe you can, maybe you can try to let it go because they've probably got, you know, a lot on their plate. Yeah, for sure. Do you have any other kinds of affirmations or, or I want to be clear too, like you know, I get road rage too. You know? yeah, I mean, I'm not Mr. Mr. Zen who just loves every I mean, I, I absolutely have my moments, but I'm doing my best, right? I'm doing my best. I just I just don't want to give off the impression that I've never had road rage because I absolutely do. I live in Thailand, home to the worst drivers in the world. So I, I get I get road rage. <laughs> constantly <laughs> yeah oh my God, but i try my so best true. it's so true the little scooters everywhere i like oh sometimes i God. freak out and i'm like yeah. ah, oh my god i'm gonna die <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the right of way like no tie understands the right of way I mean, no. any ties listening i love you i'm sure you particularly understand the right of way but yeah it's, it's frustrating <laughs> oh my god it's true it's true oh yeah. my gosh okay and um yeah. Do you have any other affirmations that people, you know, to help them help service in our best, our most intimate relationships? One line I think of, uh, another line I think of a lot is, uh, the best revenge is living well, you know, another truism mm -hmm. that we've heard, you know, many, many times, but you know, if we're angry at someone or we're holding on to things or whatever, like chances are that, you know, we're only hurting ourselves and it's like that line from the Buddha, you know, uh, holding on to anger is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to, to die. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of truth to that. And bring this back to retroactive jealousy, you know, a lot of retroactive jealousy sufferers tend to project, you know, everything onto other people. And they're often carrying baggage and, you know, ruminating on events and, you know, really struggling with, with events that happened, you know, years or maybe decades ago everyone else has moved on. You're the only person carrying this around. Like literally, I'm not trying to just comfort you. That's the truth. You know, the people involved in your partner's past, you can almost guarantee that they're not carrying these events around your partner. Uh, chances are very, very good that they've moved on. You know, they're happy with you. They're not thinking about their past at all. You're literally the only one, you know, carrying this around. So yeah, just, just, I think it's really important to remember uh, in these moments that, you know, we're the only one perpetuating this. We're the only ones carrying this around. And that's good because that means that we're the only ones who can, who can let it go, you know, which we mm. absolutely have the power to do. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Wow. 
this is, this whole conversation has just been like, I'm sure everybody's writing furiously in their notebooks or, you know, um, or maybe not if you're in your car listening to our podcast. But yeah, don't do that. If you're, if you're on the road, please don't be writing in your notebook. Be pause, yeah, pull over to the yeah. car and write, pull out your, your, your post-it notes, or I don't even know if people write on post-it notes anymore. Yeah. So as we're wrapping up this show, I'm wondering if there's some, um, some last nuggets that you could give to our listeners out there that would help them move forward. I, I think I would just encourage everyone, um, and bring this back to something I just said, uh, you know, I, I would encourage people to think a little more seriously about how the fact that this party is going to end and that, you know, every relationship ends, you know, whether it's a result of you know, a breakup, um, a result of, of, you know, someone passing away, whatever, like it all ends. There's no such thing as a permanent relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what better excuse, what a better motivation do we have to really enjoy the hell out of things now? Because I don't know about you, but I even look back on, you know, my past relationships that didn't work out. And my regrets are just not having more fun, you know, like taking mm-hmm. things too seriously, ruminating on things that didn't matter. Um, you know, being too self-serious, being too critical of my partner, you know, and, and I wouldn't want to be with any of those people anymore. It's not like I, you know, regret the relationship ending. I might regret how it ended perhaps, but I don't really regret it ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, those are the things that I, that I, you know, I, I think about still in, in certain moments and the things that I regret. So I would just, you know, again, encourage people to really remember the fact that, you know, this party is absolutely going to end. And, you know, enjoy the hell out of your partner. And that that's, might sound like a glib thing to say, like, how do I do that? Well, I think one way to do that is to keep in mind more often that, you know, everything ends, uh, you know, and, and what more excuse do we, do we need to really enjoy the present moment? Mm, I love that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Wow, Zachary, I thank you so much for this. This is something that... You know, so many people are struggling with, and we all struggle with, with jealousy from time to time. And, and the work that you're doing is, is really powerful and helpful for so many people. Um, how can they find out more about you, what you're doing, your book? Of course, I'm going to include all these links in our show notes, but where can they find you right now? Well, if anyone would like to check out my, my book on retroactive jealousy, it's available on Amazon and you know, most uh, online booksellers, it's called Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy. Mm-hmm. And the website is called retroactivejealousy.com. That's probably the easiest place people can find me. And I also have a podcast. It's called Humans in Love. And you can find that on iTunes and everywhere you're, you can listen to podcasts. Humans in love. I like that. I'm going to create, I'm going to create your new intro for that. And I'm just going to sing <laughs> humans in love over and over. I like it. I like it. It'd be really weird and off putting and people think what the hell I like that. Perfect. <laughs> new career change. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> right. And I'll, I'll create the intro for your podcast. It'll just be like me being really depressing. Like we're all going to die. <laughs> Welcome to eat play sex. <laughs> eat play sex. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Zachary Stockhill. Check him out. Again, the book is really great. I loved it. I highlighted it. I took notes from it. (laughs) So go check that out. (laughs) And let's let Zachary go to bed now because it's probably 11 p.m. for him. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds good. Let's do that. (laughs) After all that coffee. (laughs) Exactly. 
All right, lovers, thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eplaysex.com to subscribe to the show, connect with me, and get your free ebook on how to have better conversations around sex. Because my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will obviously improve every aspect of your life. (laughs) I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.